0: Okay, could you just start by saying your name and what your current position is, and also mm-hmm. tell me uh, what your position was when you were in the biomedical engineering yeah, um, department.
1: so I'm Cha-Chen Shi, or you can call me Jane, and then uh, now I'm a COO at Oxford SimCell Limited. And before when I was working in the coffee project, I was a postdoc in IBM E.
0: Okay, that's great. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear more about you and about how you got to where you are now. So if you'd <laughs> like to take me through, how did you, first of all, how did you um, decide that science or engineering were going to be your career?
1: So I think ever since I was a child, I've always had patience about science. My parents, so my dad is a physics Uh, professor and my mom is a teacher so they kind of exposed me with science quite a lot and I find it interesting as well so that's kind of like go on the path Mm -hmm. on that side Where did you grow up? Uh, In Taiwan, Mm -hmm. so I only come to the UK for my PhD Mm -hmm. yeah in 2013 so now it's about 10 years ago Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah so I think and then I think alongside the passion I always wanted to do something contributing to the society like partly also because of my parents are teaching and contributing themselves quite often as well So I think they're kind of just formulating myself to go on the science mm-hmm. pathway originally Thinking to stay in academia, but actually COVID and this project kind of helped me transition to a completely different career path But mm. well, we'll get to that later, yeah. but let's <laughs> stick with what happened before. At yeah. So what did you study at
0: undergraduate level? So
1: it's biomedical engineering. So i more focusing on the cell biology side. Mm-hmm. So I've done quite a lot of research in stem cell uh, biomaterials, trying to um, use different new biomaterials or stem cell for uh, cell therapy and transplant. Um, sorry, sorry I, was
0: still da- I was still back at your undergraduate. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So you were so, already doing that as an yeah, undergraduate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I like, wow.
1: uh, I think for the third year, we have like two years okay. research projects. So mm-hmm. I've already joined a lab and mm. then kind of exposed myself to all these topics. Okay. Yeah. Yes.
0: And to a kind of research environment as yeah, well, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: So in addition to just coursework, I also joined a lab already mm-hmm. in my third year. Mm-hmm. And in my second year, I joined an iGen competition. So it's like a genetically modified uh, circuit con- so people just gather and uh, have different novel ideas and then you can design the gene circuitry in different organism and also do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's like exhibition of um, what you can do with all these toolkits and then how that can be used for real-world application. So that's one of the competition that so I do the So would second, that yeah. fall under the heading of synthetic biology? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. more yeah. synthetic biology. Yes. So yeah. that's also... Although, like, during my undergrad, the main project that I'm working on is stem cell, but I kind of get a bit sense of synthetic biology mm. and molecular biology mm, mm, as well.
0: Very mm, yeah. mm, interesting. And how did you come to choose to come to the UK for your PhD?
1: It's also kind of luck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, I applied to 10 uh, U.S. university and one um, university here because that's the only scholarship that I managed to find between Taiwan and Imperial College so yeah and then while I'm waiting for all the other admission offer I got the offer first for the UK one and I feel like maybe that's um, something that I destined (laughs) to (laughs) come here and then also the professor that I'm working with Molly Stevens she's really one of the pioneers uh, in the field so I kind of just (laughs) <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and what was the topic of your phd
1: uh, it's about neuro differentiation so mm-hmm. i use different type of biophysical stimuli for example uh, electrical stimuli mechanical or even um, topographical so different morphology of the substrate and so on to see how that affects stem cell differentiation so for example the sulfur one might make neuro uh, stem cells more prone to differentiate into neurons while the harder one will be more for bone differentiation in kind of correlated to what their in environment is mm. and mm. then yeah so I try to understand like how different stimulate uh, affect them also the mechanism behind it mm. so mm. that we can fine tune it later on mm. so mm. that's kind of my whole PhD yeah yeah,
0: yeah. that sounds really interesting um, and, and then was there a, post, uh, a postdoc position advertised here at Oxford? How did you come to, or did you have yeah. connections with the Oxford group while you were still at Imperial College?
1: Uh, it's also, so I browse uh, across like different posts. And then um, so I found one post, like the one that I applied to is kind of uh, industrial postdoc. So it was funded by the company. Uh, that Professor Tsui is collaborating with mm-hmm. and then I found it very interesting because like I've always wanted to do research but I've never really get the chance to push research towards real-world application and then biomedical engineering in general is trying to bridge that um, two different worlds mm-hmm. so I found this one actually fit my um, original thoughts uh, quite quite a lot and then. Uh, I applied to Professor Trey's group, and then after I submit the application, I later on learned that actually my PI also got connections with uh, Professor. Well, I think not Professor Trey, but the other PI, co-PI in the grant as mm. well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you kind of all link up. <coughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and what was the project
0: that you were originally uh, that you originally came to to work on for the post-op post-op
1: project, project. Yeah. yeah, that one is also for neuro. Um, engineering, so it's kind of like making different type of biomaterials for neural repair in general. And then as another sub-project is having an in vitro model for brain, uh, like drug screening for brain diseases or for brain injury, mm, so mm. there are like two different, it's kind of more or less similar, but it's basically the same system used for different applications. Mm,
0: mm. Yeah. So what it sounds like, and this is very interesting, this crossover (laughs) between engineering and life science, Mm. that you're taking living cells um, and um, treating them almost as mechanical, more than mechanical, electrical (laughs) (laughs) um, components Mm -mm. um, uh, and and really testing them as an engineer would to see Mm -mm. how they behave under different circumstances and how other uh, environmental factors impact on them
1: yeah, yeah. Mm. I think what I felt like particularly interesting is we all think that uh, physical stimuli could be very, well, As for me, I'm more the life science people. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that you'll um, be you know quite organized, quite standardized, whatever input you get, that there's an output. And then we always feel like biology or life science, there might be more um things that is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. But the more that I dig into that, the more that I actually find life science, like life as it is, is mm-hmm. just amazing because it's also responds to the stimuli in a way that although not exactly the same, but because of a hundred million things behind it, and then it regulated itself and then the output actually come out to be in the same direction. Mm, mm. So for example, my neuron and your neuron might not be the same, but they still respond to the same stimuli in a similar way. Mm-hmm. The way that it connects itself might be different, but there's a mechanism that everybody follow mm, to make mm, sure that it mm. go towards that route. Although the connection might be slightly different, but it's just amazing to see how it can get everyone towards the same place mm. because there are all a lot of um, trivial mechanism and like circuits behind it, but it's all fine-tuned so everybody can get to my stage. Right, right. Yeah, so, so it's a
0: question of really understanding yeah. the very uh, you know the multiplicity of environmental stimuli and, and the, 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 um, yeah the environment in which the neuron is trying to develop or mm. grow. And once you understand all that, you can see how it harmonises all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Mm,
0: really good, really good. (laughs) So I think we're, we're, um, no, no, we're not yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell me a bit more about Professor Tsui's group, because it's, um, I mean, there's a lot of different projects going on there. Uh, but one of the things that's um, very interesting is that he set up a couple of uh, collaborations with Chinese institutes, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that you you also got involved with mm-hmm. with working on. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I think Professor Tsui's so group is a very nice environment because it's very like everybody work on different projects and everybody coming from different backgrounds. Some are more materials, some are even physics, and some are biologies. And then when people come in together, having different knowledge, there are a lot of stimuli when we are like well pumping up, when we are just having daily conversation and so on. So I think that environment is definitely supporting us mm. to grow and even extend our research interests to all different aspects. And then I think the collaboration between China or some even other groups in the UK or around the world is also really nice, so you can see, well, mainly utilize the resources across different groups. And then also, it make the research, um, I think, interesting because you see how you don't need to do everything by yourself, you use your strengths and then collaborate with people who already got the the, the capability to mm. run certain experiments, and then you just make the research very efficient. You don't need to spend a lot of time putting a lot of efforts on getting to certain stage, and then you can still see your project flourishing in the same way,
0: mm. Yeah. Mm. But you, you personally had a project manager role with one oh, of the, so, uh, was it yeah. the JITRI? Is yeah, yeah, it, yeah yes, Jitri. yes. so
1: that's Tell me about that. uh, the second year of, yeah, my postdoc, so mm. I take on the project manager role for JITRI. And then that's also So tell us what very, G well, tell us what G Tree is. So can you spell it out. Well? <laughs> so it's a Jiangsu well, it's been a while, so I don't know exact word, but I think it's the uh, research institute of Jiangsu Industrial G Tree. Industrial Technology Partnership Institute. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jiangsu Uh, Industrial Technology Partnership Institute. Yes. So uh, so that's a that's
0: a a, a Chinese um, higher education institution. Yeah. Yeah. Research institution. Yeah. I think Um,
1: it's not just well. It's yeah. It's a government-funded research institute, and then they are trying to bridge um, the research in men in China to different well other research institute Mm -hmm. across the world and then particularly and the focusing on industrial partnership.
0: Yeah, yep. Yep. And, and there was a specific joint project called IMPACT.
1: Oh yeah, right? Yes. That's yeah. A, so we got the IMPACT Institute here mm-hmm. that I think funded uh, a couple of um, Oxford University's research mm-hmm. in physics, biomedical engineering as well, mm. in different aspects. And then at the time that I joined, I think there's only one um, project that is uh, by a Professor uh, Donald, um, I think it's Donald... <laughs> Some couldn't recall the name. But it's, uh,
0: Not to worry, I can, yeah, look, yeah. I can look it up later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So he was one of the leading professors mm-hmm. in, like, there's only one project. But by the time while I joined, I tried to set up another research call. Mm-hmm. So there is, like, uh, 900,000 um, pound of research funding uh, invested by G and then we have like an open call for all people in the university. Mm-hmm. That was a very nice experience because we had kind of have the um, two conference, one here and the other one in China, mm-hmm. hosted for this uh, research call, and then also to bridge up like uh, the researchers here in the UK and also researchers in in China, mm-hmm. and then I think it's quite nice because it's a open call for different fields. So there are people from everywhere joining, but also when we go to, uh, when we went to China, we can also see the culture difference in terms of how we do research, how we think of the same thing. And then that's definitely one of the mm, mm. Um, most unforgettable trip mm. <laughs> for myself as well.
0: And, and so how, how did you come to, um, decide that that kind of project management role was going to be something that would be interesting for you as well as your own lab-based research?
1: I think at that time, it wasn't... That was actually Professor Cui asked me if Mm. I would be interested. And then that role is part-time postdoc and part-time project manager. So it's kind of for me to have a chance to still work on my Mm projects. But at the same time, um, I like to see what else are there mm-hmm. and then again it's a kind of a management role for between industry and academia and then there's something that I am always interested in to just try to see how research can become reality mm-hmm. like although I had a post post um, that's kind of collaborating with the, the company that's funding the project but still there's I think it could be also the, because of the essence of my research it's definitely taking a lot longer time to realise because it's neuron brain mm. injury type of thing. So I still haven't really get a chance to see, oh, I can actually make a product or how the product actually be, be, be realized, mm. And then that's why that I also uh, kind of jump in and support that, mm. uh, that role. Mm,
0: mm. So let's finally arrive at COVID. Um, mm. Can you remember where you were? I've asked all my interviewers <laughs> When you first heard that there was a, um, a serious respiratory illness coming out of Wuhan, China, and that it might, yeah, uh, it might, and when did you come to realize that it might become globally serious?
1: That was actually quite interesting. So I remember that in early December. That's actually the conference that I mentioned. Oh yes, A bunch of us actually travelled to China yeah. uh, for, for the conference, for the second conference. Which yesterday. city was that in? That's in Jiangsu. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so probably that's why that we haven't been, well, early December, I don't think it's the time there's a huge outbreak just yet, but mm-hmm. just before then. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that I fly back to the UK and then I started to get a lot of message like from family, friends, like everything's okay. like how do you, And then actually I, I completely missed that part because uh, I just fly back and then not realizing there is an outbreak. But by the time that we saw the news and then um, that's something that I started to, to be like, oh, this could be serious. And then I actually just missed that. Otherwise, I might be locked down in, yes. in China yes. for a very, very long time. <laughs> so that's kind of like, a, a strange feeling because you're quite close, mm. by and then you didn't realize it until you fly back. Yeah. 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 Mm,
0: mm. Um, and, and when did the people in, in your lab um, realize that there was a, a, a problem arising as, as the pandemic reached the UK, that there was mm. a problem uh, that your skills could be used to, to address?
1: I think I remember it's more Professor Cui mm-hmm. One day, even in, I think that's around the Chinese New Year time actually. Which is February, is it? End January or Mm. early February, I think at that time it's probably end January. Mm. And then I just got his message or phone call, I can't recall, but it's basically grouping a few of the people in the group Mm. and then just kind of have a brainstorming session together saying that, oh he got, well, this is something urgent Mm. and then he got this idea and then also with Professor Wei Huang as well they kind of already discussed and think that my background might be able to help with this project and then do you like to join this you know in (laughs) urgent research uh, group and then at that time I I just found that um, well partly because this is a disease that is causing quite a huge impact at the moment um, so definitely happy to to see if there's anything that I can help and second also i think at that time university has already decided to shut down uh, all the facilities so if you don't work on anything related to um, to covid you actually couldn't work <laughs> so there's kind of like all different things Uh, combined together, Mm. but I think really when professor told me about that, it's like The project itself is very open. So it's like what you can do to help Mm. and then uh, and then people started together and I remember it's also in this room like At 7 p.m. Pretty much every day we have like a group meeting all together well the the group meeting the group who participated in this project we kind of just Brainstorming, troubleshooting, and professors are buying KFC nearby, <laughs> and then it's just throwing ideas, trying to like really push the research to have certain outcome as soon as possible because we all know that the time is quite precious. Um, the longer that is dragged, then the the worse that the the disease might be. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the urgency. I can yeah. It's, it was, I would say, definitely exhausted, <laughs> but but it was excited mm. at the same time. You mm. just feel like you're actually doing something. Mm. And then because the time is quite urgent and then you see the results keep coming out, mm. you also feel like you're progressing every single day. Mm. And mm. then the thing is working together as a full team from different disciplines, mm. the... The conversation, the stimulation between people is also quite expir- inspiring as well.
0: So, what was the problem that you were setting out to solve, and then we'll talk about so, how the technology worked to uh, yeah. solve that problem.
1: That was uh, so we are trying to see whether we can detect um, COVID.
0: So it's a diagnostic, yeah, test. A
1: more a diagnostic um, pathway. So at that time,
0: and really, all that was available was PCR testing.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: which was yeah you know, could take forty eight hours to get a result. Yeah, a bit longer, and, and also yeah. the,
1: you might need more complicated equipment as well because they're different thermal cycle. And then I think a lot of the time there's um, like especially in China, the resources might not be able to get into certain area, and then that's also the tricky bit as well.
0: So you were thinking all the time um, about reaching communities that wouldn't have access to high tech labs.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I think the goal was really, how can we do tests as fast as we can and also as many as we can mm. in a very short period of time? Yes, yes. That's kind of 2 two main target, because the more that we test, the more that we can prevent it mm. from mm. spreading.
0: And we have to remind people, anyone, anyone listening to this, that at that time, in, in early 2020, we didn't have lateral flow tests. And we now, we've all now had so many, yeah. <laughs> so, thrown away so many lateral flow tests that you, you forget that actually, for almost the whole of that first year, we didn't have lateral mm. flow tests. So there wasn't a quick way of, of establishing um, whether or not somebody was infected. Uh, so so then there was a great need for something yeah. that could do the job more quickly. Mm, Yeah, yeah,
1: or at that time, because it's a very early stage, Mm. some of the tests hasn't been refined as good. That's true as well, yes, yes,
0: yes. So tell me, first of all, explain the technology to me. How did it uh, work and how did it differ from uh, the existing PCR tests?
1: So it's called LAMP, so it's Loop Mediated Amplification, uh, well, Isothermal Amplification. So basically, the primer design is different. So they have like specific loop primers. Well, Sorry, not necessarily. we're going to need to explain what right. to a little bit more.
0: What do you mean by a loop primer? So what do you? So what's your starting maybe, material.
1: Maybe I'll just get back to what are the key differences. Yes. Really. So, as it's isothermal amplification, so it's only one single temperature. Mm-hmm. So while it's only need one, the PCR in general need multiple thermal cycle. So you need to get. Down to about 90 degrees, and then uh, jumping down for the primer to anneal. So, all different temperature that will require more complicated um, mm. like uh, equipment mm. to be able mm. to do that. Well, so you have to the heat it one. and then yeah. cool it and then heat it and yeah. then cool it. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. then for lamp in general, it's just one. Mm. And then the time is also different. So, the primer design, although PCR also needs to have a primer design. So
0: the primer is a little piece of DNA, or oh, RNA, is, it, is that so
1: right? it's so It's DNA. DNA, yeah. yes. So the target is an RNA, mm. a viral which RNA Which is in target. the virus. So yeah, what, what which you're is trying to viral. detect
0: is the viral RNA. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then we use the DNA, well, very small DNA sequence, to target the gene target that we mm. wanted to do. For PCR, we only have a pair, so two primers, forward and backward to get a specific uh, region. Mm-hmm. While the lamp, we will have minimum two pairs. So the way that it's designed is once that it gets to the targeted region, the other pair will also be able to form certain structures. They can amplify the applicant itself. So the results will be, It will start to uh, target all different Amplicons and then that results in faster amplification. Compared Mm, to mm. PCR, it's always only targeting the original, well, the same piece of the template, Mm, while mm. the other one, it could have multiple different forms of template after certain amplification and then that results in a higher, well, faster Mm. amplification. Um, uh, amplification for certain amount of amplicons. So the amplification, sorry if I'm sounding a bit stupid about this, no. the amplification <laughs> means that, does
0: that mean that the RNA is actually multiplying yeah, itself? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. so you're getting more and more and more, so and that yeah. and you get a kind of a chain reaction really, which is...
1: So yeah, so basically yeah. after we, our primus gets in, mm. that thing started to uh, amplify, and then we started to get a lot of um, the, the different type of amplicons. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And then for them, so for PCR in general, people are using fluorescence signal. So it's, they are using a fluorescent dye mm-hmm. to, that will targeting um, double-stranded DNA. And then we read by fluorescence uh, detector. And then that, again, is a more complicated uh, equipment because you need a fluorescence reader and so on. For them, there are multiple ways reading out the results so there are like uh, change um, directly by color change um, that's because of the pH uh, difference while more applicants uh, during the amplification so what that's kind of the the indicator that we are using mm-hmm. is red. so when there's amplification the color will change from pink to yellow because the pH uh, drops. Did you say phenol red? Yeah. You said? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's how we kind of detect it. And then there is also um, different ways you can start to see the color change from uh, transparent to uh, a little bit white, so it's a turbia- uh, turbidity. so you kind of detected the iron. Um, and then they have deposition and then you can detect it as well. But mm-hmm. our test is mainly focusing on um, the colour we mentioned mm-hmm. because it's very easy to read. And then also you don't really need a lot of tra- training. People can understand the concept and the full workflow easily. And so did you
0: have to start by doing some kind of proof of principle that this this technology would yeah. would work with COVID? And, and um, so did you have to collaborate with people who were actually dealing with sick patients to get samples or did you use genetically engineered COVID DNA for testing?
1: So initially we were, uh, when we are kind of going on, uh, we definitely have to, well, the first proof of principle is we do the synthetic DNA fragments. So that's, Exactly the same as what we designed to target. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. The second step, we order quite a few mm-hmm. uh, synthetic RNA. So people do have well, some is commercially available. Mm-hmm. There are like the few full genome mm-hmm. um, of the virus, different virus strings. and then we use that as proof of principle. And then our difficulty at that time is, after all this proof of principle experiments, we can't really get a hold on clinical samples because especially um, at that time I think in the UK there aren't that many cases. No. just yet mm. And then that's how the uh, Oscar kind of support us on running a lot of clinical trials there in China. I
0: see so Oscar that's we haven't talked about Oscar. this, oh, yeah. is, this oh, yeah. is another collaborative uh, research institute. The yeah. Research center in in China.
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's Oxford University's uh, research institute based mm-hmm. in Suzhou as well. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that's how. But that's
0: another we, initiative of Professor Tsui. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, and then I think that's a very. It's it's also quite exciting because uh, we finally managed to get to really the front line yes. <laughs> based on our yeah. research, and yeah. then also. Um, I think the speed is really um, surprising at that time because usually, from like for clinical trials, you probably need to fill in a lot of forms, getting all the um, examine like review and so on to finally get the samples. But because of the urgency in China, we actually managed to get. Maybe I think initially it's just twenty in one single hospital, but that is already quite a lot of samples <laughs> for us at that time. And, mm. then, and then we have the first paper published based on um, all the results. Which month good. did that come out, that paper? That's uh, I think in April or May. Oh, that's very So quick. yeah, yes, it's a very yes. quick, I think, yeah, pretty much every single day we stay here until seven or eight and also during weekend. But we all know like there's a certain objectives we wanted to achieve and then the goal we wanted to achieve. So I think it's not, it's us driving ourselves at that time, like professors say, they're not like pushing, hooping us or something. It's more like we know that that's urgent Mm. and we wanted to get it out Mm. as Mm. soon as possible.
0: Mm. Yeah. And how well did the test
1: perform? I think uh, it's in general, the sensitivity for the nuclear acid one is reaching 98. Percent sensitivity, it's very high. Yeah. yeah it is. So at, it's re- kind of comparable for qPCR. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a, a plus for, <laughs> for our test.
0: Yeah. And the specificity is similarly. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. also ninety-eight percent. Ninety-nine. So it's not too many false positives, nor n- not too many false yeah. negatives. Simon. Yeah. 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 Um, and at what point did you need to um, uh, get a commercial partner to? Um, turn it into something that could be applied um, practically and and marketed?
1: So I think around that time like when we finish all the proof of principle experiments and then we have BBC, uh, CNN come to Oxford University to interview us and then by the time the news release and then we started to get attention and then there are a few commercial partners started to reaching out to Professor Tsui or to me or the team members Mm. just to see what collaboration opportunities um, there is. And then that's how we started to, yeah, testing, helping people to test our test kit, how to make it a real product and so on. Um, I think probably, and Professor Tsui's other Start Well, one of the startups for Professor Tui is called Star, and Star at that time also supports quite a lot of um, product side of things, like really making sure the research that we are doing, the experiments that we are running can be easily uh, translated to later on the product, product development. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and at what point did you actually form a, a co- the company, um, Oxed?
1: I think it's in, I might need to double check the (laughs) the company house, but I think it's end of August, I think that's the time that we all sit down and Professor Tsui, I think it's Professor Sui already discussed with the university to spin out this company Mm. and by that time he grouped everyone, we are thinking about um, what's our product name and so on, like what's what are different product format that we are going to offer. But the, th- the key thing at that time is he, we, well, all the team members are either PhD or postdocs. And then um, also, I think in the beginning of this project, we are all just thinking about how to, you know, contribute to the world in the shortest period of time but not really making profit and anything so we kind of all gather in there we all know that it's gonna be a social enterprise none of this is gonna be generating revenue and so on and then that's all like when we are discussing through what we're gonna put as product offering is mainly just to put it out yes yes yes. (laughs) yeah
0: just so that it's available for people to use Yes, yes yeah
1: and then that's quite yeah, I think it's really exciting to actually go through the full process and know that your test kits are actually being used somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I mean, that was my next question. They, yeah. they, they were actually taken up and used uh, in real life, as <laughs> it were. Tell, tell me about that. Where were the main places that were using your, your tests?
1: So, uh, well, definitely airport, uh are one of them, and then uh, later on we... I, don't really know how we kind of connected with PreneX, but basically they later on acquire Oxid. I think they also probably get the news and they reach out to the mm. university to see where they. are. And that was a so Hong Kong-based. Yeah, there's a Hong kong device, based. medical
0: device company or yep. a diagnostics company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes.
1: And then they also have the subsidies in uh, in the UK too. Right. So is mm-hmm. DNA fit? I think is DNA fit acquire. Um, Oxford, but the whole <laughs> thing is all prenatics Yes, group. yes. Yeah. And then they have uh, some testing sites at the airports or actually different places for fit to fly. So you don't need to go to the airport to do the testing. You can do home tests and home collection and mm-hmm. so on. Mm. So we collaborate with them. And I remember that's also quite an unforgettable experiences is we actually need to be on site to train all the technicians how to do the tests at the airports and then uh, just to make sure um, the workflow are all fine, the way they run the tests are fine, troubleshoot and so on. Yeah. And you
0: were involved in that, were you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: so how many airports did you have to go to? <laughs> so <laughs> at that time we are running, well, I was mainly staying in Heathrow mm-hmm. at that time, but we do have people to go to Manchester and then Gatwick, Luton. I think there are five London city also. So mm-hmm. there are five airports in London and then Manchester as well. And then there's also a few sites in like Sky or Disney. They are also using um, our kids. Mm, mm, mm.
0: um, so that was all um, towards the end of 2020 when the, the, the first big wave was over, or did it go on after? Because there yeah, must have been a time, I can never remember exactly when lateral flow tef- tests started coming up. in, but yeah. there, there must have come a time when the demand for um, PCR tests, or, or did, did the airlines always require a higher standard of tests than you could get from a lateral flow?
1: i think in the very beginning uh well some of most of the airlines that are that were initially targeted is either the flights to hong kong or asian countries mm-hmm. which require higher standards but i think later on pretty much all the countries also join the testing mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and then that's around the time Yeah, end of 2020. Mm. I think Mm. that's when when we uh, kind of regularly communicate to to the airport (laughs) to support all the testing and then uh, teaching and or site setup. We also like literally build the lab in two days, (laughs) along (laughs) with the prenatics team, like just trying to set things, set up everything in the airport. The day before, still got all the water dripping down <laughs> and then the next day we need to make it a full clean new lab um, yeah that was unforgettable <laughs> <laughs> and then also teaching all the uh, technicians like some of them are like f- fresh under uh, grade j and then not really that experience but we really need to teach them and train them in a the very short Period of time to mm. make sure all the tests are up to standard. Yes. So that's yes. also quite challenging, yeah. but exciting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well,
0: and you, by this time, you were, were you, because at some point you, you moved across to essentially be an employee of Oxed rather than uh, yeah. continuing. So when did that happen?
1: In 2021, right. February. Mm. And then uh, my post in Oxford University ends. Mm-hmm. And then well, actually, more. Um, I kind of mentioned to Professor Choi, um, mentioning that I'm thinking to explore more industrial roles because after joining this um, Oxide project, but at that time, yeah, I haven't joined the company mm, itself. Mm. But I feel very interesting how the full product development uh, cycle works, and then I wanted to do more. So I. Told Professor Sui saying that oh um, I don't wanted to continue my post as a postdoc. I wanted to explore different thing. And then Professor Sui is super supportive and and actually asked me oh there's actually uh, a position <laughs> in in Oxford. And then um, thinks that it would be a nice fit because in a way I'm also leading on the product mm, development mm. as well. Mm. So if asking if I would like to join. And then I think at that time, is really um, the whole project. I, I bet the whole team think the same. It's our baby. Mm-hmm. And then it's already here. And then we really wanted to see what's the next step and then how it would turn out. So that's why that I moved to Oxford mm-hmm. um, after, yeah, after the post in the university
0: and and what so what remained to be done at that point what what were the tasks ahead of you uh, as uh, to uh, as you went ahead with the product development at that stage because by that time you know you already had the tests up and running in the in the airports uh, what what needed doing in in oxy what was the challenge so
1: that's also uh, so i think during the covid period there are a lot of um, urgent test somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> was pumping to dip, uh, or dragging the, the whole oxy team to different directions so mm-hmm. um, so training and setting up the airport site is mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. and later on actually um, because of the demand increase quite a lot during that time Oxi also set up a few testing sites on on uh, like on on our own as well Mm. and then by setting up the sites and all the doing all the testing there's regulation coming in saying that you need to be accredited to do all this test so we have put a lot on the, uh, the setup of the quality management system in all the testing side to make sure we fulfill all the standards that is set up by the government guideline. So you
0: had a lot of documentation work yeah, to do, yes, but also yeah.
1: the actual implementation work to make sure that all operation aspect is fulfilling um, the government standard. So that's one big chunk of work that we need to um, make sure that we are adhering to all the government standards. And the other side is what will be the next step. So now we are focusing on COVID, although it's not yet gone but we need to think about maybe there will be another pandemics while other infectious diseases are very important but we still haven't managed to resolve it or haven't managed to prevent the spreading of it. So that's another side that I'm involved in as well, like the product development for other critical infectious diseases. Mm, mm. And then at that time, we were thinking about other respiratory disease, like flu is quite critical, and then how especially after COVID has come out, how we differentiate flu or COVID or ISV and different things, so that's one of the focus that we are looking into and there's of course um, a lot of uh, sexual transmitted diseases, there's also a need there, and then the idea for respiratory tests is more on public health but for STIs we're more thinking of Perhaps people wanted to have more privacy. Uh, so they actually wanted to run it at home and how we can improve our tests to make sure that it's even more decentralized and then can even bring it to people's home. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like different mm. product line mm. that we are um, running at that time. Um, and you stayed
0: in that post until August last year, is that right, August 22? Uh, yeah. yeah, in August. Yes. And now SimCell, yeah. where you are now, is another of Professor Tsui's babies, Do you? <laughs> the <word? laughs>
1: Yeah, so in August, um, that's kind of already the time I think COVID started to um, get, getting, everybody's getting back to normal. And then the demand of COVID is definitely not as high. And then um, they also restructure the company to focusing on different side of the things. So that's how I feel. The original baby is no longer what I thought it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I was looking into other transition. And then the C is actually not the professor's telling me about this opportunity. It's actually the CEO of SimCell reached out to me at that time because. So how long has SimCell been going? At that time, I think it's, it's starting in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, mm, I think, I think, uh, yeah, 2020, August. Right, July or August, mm-hmm. around that time. Mm-hmm. So at that time, it's two years, but yeah. And then- But it also spun were,
0: out of uh, research that had gone on in Professor Tsui's
1: So group, it's mainly yeah. Professor Wei Huang's oh, group. group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly on uh, using uh, like synthetic biology to genetically modify the bacterial cells to make it genome-free and they mm-hmm. use it for different health applications. And then, um, yeah, so basically the CR- CEO reached out to me mm-hmm. asking me if I would be interested in sim cells. And then that time originally is making mainly uh, looking into the quality management aspect because I've got some... Um, Setting experience on setting up the QMS in OXID and then also product development side of things. So that's kind of how I know SimCell. And then I found SimCell interesting because it kind of get back to my original yes, <laughs> yes. research it's yeah, yeah, Yes, it's biology. Yeah, more, it's biology, but also using it for treatments or therapeutics or vaccines even. So that's actually going back to my original research interests. Mm. So that kind of like um, grabbed my attention quite Mm. a lot. Mm. And then also setting up the quality management system for product development is also something that I always wanted to look into as well. And then actually there are, well most of the people in Simsal is also the original group that we work in the very (laughs) beginning for this COVID project. So we all know each other very well as well especially it's kind of like the super period of time the period <laughs> of time you know <laughs> gathering everyone <laughs> and then running doing things super efficiently trying to get achieve the goal that we set up so i really enjoy working with everyone mm-hmm. um during that time so that's why that i later on joined uh, Simcell. You're not working seven till midnight, seven days a week. (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, if it's needed, (laughs) but it's mainly uh, I think most of us is more like driven by ourselves. There's Mm. nothing like, oh, we need to do whatever. But you just found it intriguing (laughs) and trying to see, oh, what's the next step? Like how we what's the results and so on. Mm. And then Mm. that's something I think we feel ourselves, I guess. So yes,
0: I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, your, and you've talked a little bit about this already, but how working through the pandemic impacted you on you mm-hmm. personally. Um, I mean, first of all, did you, how threatened did you feel by the virus itself, by the possibility that you might get sick yourself?
1: I think at that time, well, indeed, uh, originally I wasn't that worried, but when your family started to checking on you time to time, your friends checking on you time to time, and when you know there's nobody else in, on the street, except for you. And then when you meet people, of course, we are gonna be cautious and so on. And I remember, because we were running quite a lot of experiments, and then at that time we are always talking about, we need to wash our hands very often and so on. And I remember like, because of gloves and so on, we actually like, my hands are actually bleeding, but probably just not me like probably the rest of the team or other people doing a lot of work or even people in the hospital will definitely have the same thing because mm-hmm. when we are, are when we' peeled off the gloves, you just kind of remove skin time to time and then it's getting very dry because we keep washing, washing the hands yes. and yes, so on yes so I think that's when and some people have a bad reaction to latex
0: as well oh yeah yeah, it, yeah like yeah. you just yeah. don't feel so yeah.
1: I think that's probably the time that it actually hits me like. Although I don't think it might be that serious, but what I'm doing is actually already, you know, following uh, the thing, Yeah, yeah yes. Yes. And then that's probably the time. And then I guess the other thing is when we uh, went to the airport, we are really exposed to the first, um, to the front line. Yes. And then the urgency of, for example, if we do see a positive samples, how we are going to, Deal with it, and then yeah, I think. So, did you have to wear a lot of PPE when you went? Yeah, to yeah so we yeah. fully gown up, and then uh, using a ninety-five, and then making sure everything is sterile. Was yeah, <laughs> and I remember there's also one time, um, I think one of our team is sick, probably because it's just too tired because it's quite an intense work. And then they were coming down from Oxford, bringing all the masks, medicine and everything, vitamin for us to make sure that we are all fine on site. And yeah, I think at the airport is probably really the time that you feel the most because it's real. You see the passengers out there. And then I I remember it very clearly, like when the testing site, like it passed certain times so we need to close down and then there's two or a family of the passenger actually knock the door, the glass door, and then really crying and half begging saying that, oh, we really need this test. Otherwise, like it's been a while that we can't go back home and so on. And then you just feel like it's real. Like, yes, and then yes. there's really a need there. And then how many people actually need this? And then how, I, I think that's kind of like the struggle between you, you are in the front line and then you you are probably worried about your house autonom bit but there's actually a lot more need there you can't even support them and then so I guess we just go out there mm-hmm. but again thinking of us is probably a really small case compared to nurses doctors in the hospital those are the people really in the front line, yes, and yeah. then their pressure is definitely a lot more, mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these, and yeah. did you, I mean
0: you said that the work was very intense in, in the early days when you were doing the proof of principle and getting the, uh, the device working, mm. um, did you, I mean how, how well did you cope with that. And what were your home circumstances? I mean, were you living by yourself at the time? Was it just work and sleep? Was there <laughs> <laughs> did you, did, were you able to do anything to support your, your own well-being in that time?
1: I think my partner definitely helped a lot, that's yeah. so what I'm saying, with my partner. And then I remember, yeah, I always, it's mainly I remember, it's quite interesting because I, I went, at that time I went back home quite late, pretty much always. And then they There was once, um, he probably knew that I'm quite tired or something. So he came out to try to help me carry the things and so on. But I was completely blank. So I walked past him and then not really (laughs) knowing what's going on. Just feeling it's probably another pedestrian walking by. And then that's the time that I kind of like, oh, actually, I might need to really, you know, also taking care of myself a tiny bit because i can't even (laughs) (laughs) you know notice that uh, he passed by and then but definitely he's supporting me a lot like i think if if we don't have dinner here then he's cooking he's helping with all different aspects and then uh yeah, trying to help me. <laughs> mm,
0: that's that's yeah. really good. And and, um, uh, and but do you think that the fact you had a job to do? I mean, like so many people were in lockdown, and didn't have anything to do because they couldn't go to work. The fact that you did have an important project to work on, do you think that helped to support your uh, sense of well-being?
1: Yeah, I think actually that it definitely helped because mm. my partner and I are well. He's also a postdoc in the university, so he. I know he really struggled a tiny bit because he know there are so many things to do or to be done in certain periods, but he just couldn't do it because of the full lockdown. Well, yeah, I'm really lucky that I was kind of involved in another project, although that's not my original research Mm. expertise, Mm. but Mm. I do have the chance to explore um, how I can be useful in all this projects Mm. yeah Mm.
0: Uh, and and do you think I mean there are obviously a lot of changes in the way people work things like um, using uh, you know virtual Mm. conference calling and all that kind of thing Uh, do you think in fact some of those changes were positive and would you see that kind of way of working continuing after the the emergency is over
1: yeah I think that definitely helps and also the way that like the speed and also how people can be brought together in such a short period of time is, it's definitely gonna change the world later on. Like people, for example, like clinical trials, uh, how to collaborate across different continents, communication through to different departments and so on. I think that all speed things, well now because of the, probably the people are getting used to it, or people are more open to it they definitely speed up and and improve mm, <laughs> so you just difficult.
0: you don't have to get on a plane and go to a conference yeah. you can just you can just yeah. say we'll have a call next Wednesday and
1: <laughs> yeah or set up a collaboration yeah. meeting face to face but yes. you can just run it and then people will still think that is happening
0: yes <laughs> yes yes um, and do you think that I mean did you find the level of collaboration I mean, I know you're in a very interdisciplinary field, so you will always have had quite wide collaboration in your work, but do you think there was a step change in the degree to which people from different backgrounds were collaborating to solve these problems in the pandemic? Um, Do you think there was a a bigger change than usual? Did you feel Um, that?
1: I think, well, throughout my research, like, I think it's always quite interdisciplinary but the difference again I think is more the speed and Mm. how people respond to certain issue like we all jump in directly there's Mm. no more border or while before there could be like you need to arrange certain meetings or certain networking to bring people together Mm. but now is really knowing that like there's no border. Mm. Directly reach out. People know that it's a serious issue. Mm. You don't need to have an <laughs> application. People just try every different way to mm. help.
0: And it's part, yes, yeah, so part of that is a greater openness. Yeah. It's, it's not a sense that uh, this is work that's going on in our lab, and we're mm. not going mm. to release it until we've got our paper written. Um, yeah. But you would actually share data and share uh, technology and, and, and share a ideas. Materials. Yeah. yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah. I think mm. that's definitely something a bit different because there's an urgent need. But I do see after COVID, I think people are more open as well. Mm. Because probably people are also getting used to. And then I think maybe virtual meetings are helping it in certain way because everybody already get used to it to to kind of set up trust using even virtual meetings. Well, before you probably need to really have like deep connections to set up the collaboration. Well, now maybe a few times meeting, mm-hmm. then you already feel like you know the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's really interesting.
0: So, I, I think we have more or less, um, yeah, I think we've gone through pretty well all of that. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, my final question really is whether yeah. the experience has changed your attitude or your approach to your work and are there things you'd like to see change in the future?
1: I think it definitely changed me in, in various aspects, like originally, well, maybe one is more like how fast you might be able to make it work because before all my research is longer term, and then you might feel like you don't really know if it's actually going to be realised. Mm.
0: Yes, well as you said, you were working yeah. on uh, repairing yeah. neural yeah. tissue, which is you know it's a project that <laughs> uh, yeah. people have been trying to do that for 50, 50 or sixty yeah. years, and it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. but yeah.
1: now just seeing how, like for example, COVID vaccine. Before, it also needs to take 15 years, yes. 20 years. yes. But because of COVID, it can be down to two years or even less. So it, there's always a possibility if we wanted to do it. I feel like that's probably the major thing that opened my eyes. Like, mm. If we all wanted to do certain things, if we all think that's important, we can achieve it like the, the the way the system will we'll change it to make sure that it works too. Mm-hmm. So I think originally, for example, even cell, the projects that we are working on now, it's, it might be like in traditional or conventional drug delivery, uh, drug development pathway, you might be taking long, but I think there's a chance to shorten it and then we probably can find a way to speed things up. Not, mm. short, not, not shortcut, but because of the, how we utilize the resource, how we navigate the regulatory pathway, how we actually bring in partners, collaborators together. Like we learn how to make it faster. Mm. Mm. <laughs> not finding a shortcut, but we know how to speed things up. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. And is that also a message about basic science? Because I mean, just taking the example of the vaccine again, mm. um, yes, they got the vaccine in, in um, kind of just just over a year, but in fact that was based on maybe ten mm. years research that had gone on beforehand to develop yeah. the vector. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was it was really just the end of a research. It wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't from scratch, uh, but because people had already done that fundamental research, yeah, it w- it was possible to make that fast leap yeah. forward. Um, I think
1: definitely the. Like how we collaborate, how we connect with other people, like all the final product sites will be just applications. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, like all the fundamental site, that's the core of how they drive all the rest of the technology Mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. that's great. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, before
0: I stop, I I just I I always forget to ask this, but just. I just wonder if there were any um, other stories that you haven't told me that um, really um, illustrate that your experience and the time that you spent. Are there any other, um, you know, stories that you might tell to friends about <laughs> <laughs> what you had to do and uh, things that were different or strange or remarkable?
1: I think it's really how, like, I feel like people are standing together you gotta no matter how difficult it is not just our team but even when we stand out for example going to the airport sites working with people working in the airports and so on you just feel like everybody unites because of this disease and then we all try to do things well and then that kind of experiences yeah you really feel that it's it's unforgettable, you find that we are all united together Mm. and then we are facing certain things and then we can deal with it. That's probably in addition to (laughs) (laughs) like the word and all the, yeah, that's great, very good.